All right. Some of you would love for me to teach Greek because it would be the shortest course you've ever taken in your life. And um, I'll tell you what, that would be a very interesting class, let me tell you. Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to Romans chapter number 12. The book of Romans chapter number 12. Aren't you thankful for God's amazing grace? Just think about where would you be if it were not for His grace? Just think about that. Now, some of you, you know, you grew up in wonderful homes, but some of us, we didn't. Where would my life be? Where would your life be if it wasn't for the grace of God? Man, I never get over that amazing truth. Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1, the Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Let's say that together, ready? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're gonna speak on this subject this morning, transformational living transformational living. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be transformed. I don't want to see what Jerry Fursuit can do. Because I know what Jerry Fursuit can do, and that's nothing. I want to see what God can do in and through my life, and I believe the vast majority of you have that same desire and passion in your life, that you want to see what God can do through your life. Father, I pray that you'd help us to live lives that would be totally transformed by the power of the gospel. We thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for saving us and loving us and providing all the benefits of knowing you. May we never, never get used to it. May it always be fresh in our hearts and lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. We have all seen the before and after pictures, haven't we? And, and sometimes you have to take a look at it and say, okay, is that really a true transformation? You know, it might be like a car, a, you know, 1957 Chevy, and it's, it's renovated and it's been restored and it's like, wow, it looks like it's brand new right off the showroom floor. Or you've seen these homes that are renovated They've been transformed, and you really have to look at it. You know, okay, is, this, is that really the same house? And, and how they just destroyed everything on the inside, and they just refurbished everything, and it's just not new paint, but everything's just been, you know, just been torn apart and rebuilt, and, and it's like amazing what the transformation that takes place. Now think about it. All of us have something in our lives that we would like to see transformed, right? Am I the only one? If there's one thing that you would like to be changed in your life, what it would be? For me, I would love to sing. I really would. And I sing, but, but I don't sing on tune. I'm, 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 even my wife, she loves me dearly, but she even tells me, you're singing too loud. <laughs> I said, honey, I'm just making a joyful noise. She says, you are, you're making a noise. 
but it's only joyful to the Lord and no one else. Okay, let me ask you, how many are like that? You're like me, you'd have to raise your hands. You know what, I cannot carry a tune. All right, Dr. R, I don't see your hand being raised. Okay, I've sat next to you and praise God, raise your hand. All right, okay, anybody, all, all the rest of you are singers. I'm not a singer. I remember when I was 15 years old, I went to the Baptist church for the first time and I went to that church to meet a girl. That girl, long story short, is my wife now. And, but it took a while for her to, you know, to be convinced to, you know, date somebody like me, okay? And I remember, I was 15 years old, and I had, I probably shouldn't say this, we're not on live stream or anything, right? No, okay, good. All right. <laughs> I had this cassette player, and I wanted to sing this love song to her. Now, I was a brand new Christian, okay, so don't hold this over my head. And I said, I can't believe you did that, okay? <laughs> well, I just, I was a baby Christian. And so I, I called her up on the phone, I hit the play button, and I began to sing, her, sing to her. Eight days a week, I love you. Now, none of you know what that song is. Well, you better shouldn't know what that song is, except Dr. R and maybe Dr. Getch, okay? And, and that's it. And probably not, I never heard that before. But I sang that song to her. And at the end, I sang that song, she said this to me. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> but she said, I will date you. <laughs> it was just that torture to, um, you know, to, to get, her, get me to stop singing. But, you know, I would, I would love to be able to sing and make a, a real joyful noise for everybody. I need to get transformed there. One day in heaven, I will, I'm sure. Because everything is going to be perfect in heaven. But think about the book of Romans. It is known for its theological richness. More specifically, this book is... Is, its aim is crystal clear, and it reveals the redemption story. Romans, as we know, as you all know, is divided up in two divisions. Chapters 1 through 11 talks about the principles of the transformational gospel, and then chapters uh, uh, 12 through uh, 16 is the, the practice of that transformational, transformational gospel. So there's, there's a division there. One is, you know, it's all about what the gospel is about, the principles of the gospel. And then the last four chapters of it, five chapters, it's the practice. How do we live this out? Now, after Paul lays the foundation for correct doctrine, he then moves into having correct Christian deeds. Having that right foundation doctrinally is vitally important important for all of us if we are going to live a life of faithfulness to God. Because it's that, those sets of beliefs that are going to help us to stay on track throughout our Christian journey. And so we need to understand that. We need to grasp that. Because you think about, listen, to, you know, the gospel is transformational. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. So the moment you and I got saved, there was a transformation that took place in our lives. Old things are passed away. Hey, there, we should have a new walk, a new desire, a new purpose, a new love. For what? For pleasing the Lord and not for self. We are all to live for eternity, not for the present. That's the power of the gospel. It transforms us. Now, some of you may not be living for the eternal. You might be living for the present. And you need to take a stop and say, okay, why am I not desiring to live for that which is eternal? 
Why am I stuck living for the things that are just temporal? We know they won't last. We know they won't satisfy. We know they won't bring total fulfillment to our lives. It's only, only for a season. We need to get a hold of the gospel and rejoice in everything that we have in Christ. From right beliefs, we can move then to right behavior. This morning, I'm going to share with you four observations from this transitional chapter Romans chapter number 12, that gives us insight into living a transformational life. Listen, don't settle for living an average life. I remember sitting in college and, and I was a married student, no one knew me. I sat in the back, one of the, you know, the, the, the most challenging thing, okay, who am I gonna sit with? I don't know anybody. I was quiet, I didn't go to the, you know, the church that was, the college was underneath. But I would just sit my, my, by myself in the back, and, and as I heard the preaching for four years, my heart just burned with a desire of wanting to do something great for God. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know if God could use somebody like me, but I, but I sat there with a yearning in my heart, saying, Lord, I want you to use me. I desire for you to use me. Lord, transform me into a tool in your hand that could bring you honor and glory. I hope that many of you in this room today Desire to live that transformational life. That you would rise above the average. And that you would soar like an eagle. What's the first observation? We see in verse number one, a plea to receive. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. I beseech you. We see the focus of the plea. I beseech you therefore, brethren. So Paul's writing to fellow believers. He is pleading with, the, with believers like you and me to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So he comes to them and he pleads with them. It's a, a strong desire. It, it's to beg, it means to urge, it's to encourage. It's a strong exhortation. I remember I was, I was a bus captain back in Chicago. Um, we were probably about five miles from the, from the uh, city line. And uh, we, we started a bus route in uh, about 63rd and Western. And um, it was a rough area, but I thought, you know what? No one's reaching this area, so I'm gonna start a bus route over there. We had some routes that I started um, as a young person in, in Burbank and Oak Lawn and, and uh, Chicago Ridge. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna go out to Chicago and start a route. So I went out there and, and I remember knocking some doors and. And um, the response wasn't really good. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go at night. And so I went out at night and probably wasn't the smartest thing to do at night in that area. And I was walking down the street. I was by myself. And, and uh, the, the, these guys were at the corner and, and they kind of walked up to me and they said, are you lost? And I said, no, I'm not lost. And they said, are you sure you're not lost? Because your kind shouldn't be here. And I said, well, what, what do you mean my kind? He says, you're white. White people don't belong here at night. And they said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm, matter of fact, I'm telling people about Jesus. And on Sundays, I'm going to have a bus that comes through your neighborhood, and they're going to pick up kids and bring them to church. I said, I know you guys are not kids. These were about you know, 20, 25-year-old guys. And I said, I'd be willing to have you come on our bus if you'd like. And he says, what are you going to do on that bus? I began to explain to him. I preached the gospel to about, about six or seven guys there, right there on the street corner. 
An amazing thing, that big guy, tiny, is about your size. He came up to me and, and uh, he said to all the guys, he said, now listen, I like this guy. None of you touch him. I kind of stuck out my chest. Yeah, don't touch me. Man, I had free reign in that community. I remember the first two young men I met there, they were 12 and 13 years old. One name was Buckethead, and the other was Shortfinger. And I realized why Shortfinger was called Shortfinger, because he had two of his fingers blown off. And so that's why they call him Shortfinger. Now, Buckethead, it was something to do with his basketball. And I guess he wasn't a very good basketball player, because they call him just Buckethead. And uh, so these two guys, they wanted to come out of the bus. So I went to their parents and uh, knocked on the door. I said, hey, mom, you know, uh, and I called them Buckethead and Shortfinger. And I said, they'd like to come on the bus. And she said, no. And I remember I went back to that house and I asked that mom multiple times. And then I finally said, you know what? I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to beg her. So I knocked on the door. She opened up the door and I was on my knees. I said, mom, would you please let Shortfinger and Buckethead come on my bus? She's like, no, 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 get up, get up, get up. No, until you say yes, I'm not going to get off my knees, please. And then she finally said, okay, I'll let him go. And guess what? That first Saturday, that Sunday, when they came to church, Buckethead and Shortfinger accepted Christ as their Savior. Amen. The next week, they followed the Lord in Beaver's baptism. And we had a bus ministry discipleship program on Sunday afternoons. Man, they came every Sunday. They began to grow. But it all started with a plea, a begging. Paul is writing to us as fellow believers. Now think about that. Why would Paul have to plead with us? We have tasted the goodness of God, haven't we? Why would he have to beg us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice? It ought to be a, just a natural response because everything that he has done for us, we ought to fall to our knees and say yes to Jesus. But he's writing to these believers, begging them, pleading with them to present themselves. But not only we see the focus of the plea, but we see the foundation of the plea. By the mercies of God. In other words, do you realize that none of us deserve what we have in Christ? Now, now let that sink in. You don't deserve to be forgiven. You don't deserve to be accepted. You don't deserve to be loved. The reason why is because we're all sinners. We're all wretched. We deserve to be separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell. But because of his amazing grace and his mercy, he loves you and me. God is so merciful in not giving to us what we deserve. The Bible says in Psalms 51 verses 1 through 3 about David's plea to God of trying to finally David getting right with God regarding his sin with Bathsheba. He said, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from all sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. 
Oh, the book of Romans is filled with doctrinal nuggets centered around the redemption story. Now think about just, you know, just a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I was sharing the gospel with a, a gentleman named Mike and his wife, Ann. And you know, you think about it, you, you know, you talk about sin and death and hell. I said, Mike and Ann, do you realize that you're a sinner? And they, you know, they acknowledge, yes, we do. And, and I said, well, because of that, you're going to die one day. For the wage of sin is death, and because of that, we deserve death because of our sinful nature. But not only that, it gets even worse. The Bible says that because of sin, that we're going to be separated from God in a crisis place called hell. But then I said, let me share some good news with you. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God commendeth his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more now, being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now think about it. We use those verses all the time presenting the gospel. But think about these three components. First of all, but God commendeth his what? Love. God loves you. For God so loved what? The world. Here in his love, not that we love God, but he loved us, what? First. God is the prime mover in salvation. So we see love, but then we see the substitutionary death. I remember when I was growing up, going to school, and, and I loved when we would get a substitute teacher. And I would love that. Man, we would have so much fun in class. We would change names. I'd become Dennis Forkin, and, and um, Dennis Forkin would become Jerry Furson. We would sit around, and we would just have so much fun with the substitute teacher. What was that substitute teacher doing? Filling in for that teacher that wasn't able to be there. Now think about this. Jesus became our substitute. In other words, that cross right there, you know what? I should have been on that cross. You should have been on that cross. But Jesus went to that cross and he was our substitute. He died in our place. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you think about love and, and substitutionary death, and then we think of justification. That you are declared righteous before a holy God. As I was witnessing to Mike and Ann, and I began to explain what this meant, their eyes began to fill up with tears, and they began to, you could just see the relief and the joy that came into their heart. And Mike said, now you tell me, I know I'm a sinner, but I could stand before God innocent? I said, yes. I said, Mike, that has nothing to do with what you have done or what you could possibly do but it's what, what Christ has done for you. But you have to accept it. It needs to become yours. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Think about that. A plea to receive. But the second observation is this, a personal surrender. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. First of all, it begins with a decision. It becomes with an individual said, I have to decide to present my bodies, 
with the, from thinking back of what Christ has done for me. Because of what he's done for me, okay, how about this? From Romans 1 all the way through Romans chapter 11, because of all that, I ought to be willing to present myself as a living sacrifice. It's a decision. It's an individual decision, just like Daniel made a decision. He made a decision not to defile his body. He made that decision. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego made that decision. They would not bow down to the golden image. They decided that we're going to stand. They weren't going to bow. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Think about this. Just as Daniel, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Jesus, they all made a decision to surrender themselves, to lay themselves down as a living sacrifice. Not as I will, but as thou wilt. Do you realize that that is not a one-time decision? The first time I ever made that decision was at camp at Wilds. I remember, I think it was a Thursday night. I think it was Thursday, not Friday. I think it was a Thursday night. I remember taking that branch and, and I remember walking up there as a 16-year-old teenager, throwing that branch into that fire and just surrendering my life. I didn't, I didn't fully understand what all that meant, but I did understand that God had a plan and a purpose for my life. I had no idea what it was. Ministry was not even on my radar. It wasn't even in the same universe. But I was just willing to serve the Lord. Lord, here am I, use me. But it was a surrender. And you realize that throughout that journey from 1976 to 2023, that that decision had to be, has, has been made over and over and over again. Lord, not as, not my will, but Father, your will be done in my life. Your will. Just a few days ago, I was struggling with something. And I was ready to make a decision. But I had to come back to what God has done and revealed to me. And I had to say to myself, not as Jerry wants to do. But I'm going to do what you want me to do. Listen, I, I, it's not a one-time thing. It's something you have to battle with and surrender throughout your Christian journey. And let's look at some of the ingredients that's disclosed here in this surrender. What does this look like? The Bible says that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
Have you ever tasted something before and it was just nasty? Huh? I mean, it's just like, it's like ugh, don't give me that again. You look for a garbage can to spit it out in, right? And, and what, what, what do you say right after? What's in that? What's in, what are those ingredients? But then you taste something that's really good, and you say, man, that's good, what's in that? Not about you, I don't, I, I like yogurt, but a certain kind of yogurt. I like the, the one with the peach in there, and it's almost like ice cream, right? You know which one I'm talking about? I mean, that, that, that's good yogurt. Well, my wife said, okay, you're going on a diet. Basically, she wants to go on a diet, so I'm on that diet. And so she said, we're having Greek yogurt, all right? Now, I'm Greek, I'm, I'm Polish, I'm Greek, I'm Italian, so I thought, okay, I'm going back to my culture, I'm gonna have Greek yogurt. So she gave me some of that, just the other day. And I'll be honest with you, I almost died. <laughs> I almost died. She had to call 911, the, the paramedics came and they, they gave me mouth to mouth. <laughs> I was just, I was ready to just give up the ghost. You know, I said, no, I'm gonna get 500 pounds. I'm not eating that stuff. It was nasty. And then she said, well, we're, we're going we're to doctor it up a little bit. She, she said, we're going to put some strawberries in there and some blackberries, and we're going to put some granola in there. And I said, okay, I'm going to try that. So I ate it, and it was still like, oh, call 911, you know. She said, okay, one more thing. We're going to put honey in there. So she put it like a little, like a half a teaspoon. And I said, put some more in there. So she squeezed that honey in there, and I tell you what, I had some of that this morning. That's good with the honey. Without the honey, it's poison. <laughs> you know, ingredients are important. So what are the ingredients of a surrendered life? Here it is. First of all, look at the word living. Not a dead sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. It's practical. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what's some practical things? Here it is. I, I know this is simple, okay? But guaranteed, it's amazing how many people get off track because they fail to do these four practices. Number one, read God's word. Young people, listen, you've got to stay in God's Word. You've got to stay in there. You've got to make sure that you're opening up God's Word and, and you're just pouring God's Word into your life. You've got to do that. And can I say this? Every day. Every day. This, listen, this is our nourishment. This is our food. We need to be eating every single day. Did you eat breakfast? Did you have some snacks already this morning? I'm sure all of you did. But listen, did you get in God's Word? Did you feast on this right here? So reading God's Word, then praying, you've got to talk to God. You've got to carve time in your life to spend time with, have a place, have a purpose, and, 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 and have a time. 
There's, a, there's two spots in my house that it's my place. I, I know what the purpose is, and I have a time. And I go there. And that's where I meet with God. That's where he meets with me. But have a place. Have a purpose. And have a time. Let's say that. Have a place. Have a purpose. And have a time. You've got to have that. So there's reading and praying, then meditating. You've got to meditate on God's word. Now, how many of you, you, you met somebody, say, hey, what's your name? And they told you, and then two seconds later, you forgot already. Right? I mean, how many are like that? Is it just old people like us, okay? Or, okay, some of you young people. Yeah. You know, because we weren't really listening. You know, sometimes we can read God's word, close it, and someone put a gun in your head and say, what do you read? You have like a brain freeze. Oh, oh God. Right? And you, you, you don't know what you read, but you read something. Listen, but when you meditate, you're looking for something. So I'm, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to meditate on that. I'm going to allow that to penetrate into my heart and to my life. This morning for me, I was reading through, I uh, started 1 Kings, I started reading through 1 Kings and, and how uh, Samuel, or, or, or Solomon was wanting to, he said, I'm, I'm little and I, I, I don't know how to come in and come out and Lord, I need your help. I need, to, I need to have wisdom and discernment and so I know how to judge this great multitude of people. I've been thinking about things, Lord, I need wisdom. I need to know how to go in and out. I need to know how to counsel people and help people. I need to know how to give an encouraging word or maybe give a, a loving rebuke. Lord, help me to have that discernment, that insight. And I've been thinking about that. I've been meditating on that. Why? Because that's what I read this morning. I want something to feed my soul. So now we've got to be reading and praying and meditating, but then witnessing. We need to be sharing our faith. And not just on Saturday morning from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock. Listen, we're Christians 24-7. And we are the light of this world. And if our lights are hid, listen, there's going to be, the darkness is going to permeate throughout this community and throughout this world. We need to allow the light of the gospel shine through our lives. So the first ingredient is, it's just practical. We need to be living the truth of God's word. Then it, holy, we need to be pure. We've all been, we all got dressed in the dark. We, we all have done this. All of us. Maybe we want to turn light on to wake up our spouse, or maybe we don't want to turn light on to wake up our, you know, our roommates. And in the dark, you all look pretty good. But then, the light reveals to you so you got a black sock on and a brown sock on. Or your shirt's dirty. Or your dress doesn't match, your shoes. Or, like my wife did, she had two different pairs of shoes on. Hello! <laughs> I've never done that. She had two different types of shoes on. Oh, she was so embarrassed. She was sitting over there. Where's the chair at? 
She was sitting over there doing this. She didn't want anybody to see her shoes. It was hilarious. I said, let's walk with Jesus. <laughs> Embarrassing. You know, that's how it is. We get embarrassed. But are we embarrassed of our sin? sad. People don't blush anymore. People are not ashamed of their sin. But surrender, it's practical, it's pure. It's acceptable, it's pleasing to God. I think one verse that God has used to really challenge me and to remind me of my shortcomings is John 8, 29. The testimony of our Savior. Where the Bible says that I always do those things that please him. Now I know that I don't always do those things that please him. But when I remember that verse and that truth, I say, Lord, help me to be more pleasing. I want to please you then not only is it living and holy and acceptable, but here it is. It's reasonable. That word means credible, sensible, logical. Think about this. From the perspective of viewing the cross, and seeing Jesus hanging on that cross for our sins. It is logical. It makes sense for us to present our lives as a living sacrifice. Probably one of my favorite hymns, if not my favorite, is When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And the last stanza says this, love so amazing, so divine, demands my heart, my life, my all. When I survey the wondrous cross, It demands all of us to give our lives to him.